People said? Amen. Please be seated. We come now to the time of fellowship with the Lord through his word, and he leads us through Psalm 119, verses 17 and 18. It says, Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful things from your law. We have Brian Prouty here this morning to, to bring the word. So as he uh, brings the word of Almighty God, I encourage you to give attention to it. It is good to be, uh, be with you again, that uh, we might worship together. And it's, uh, it's a joy when we uh, go to uh, congregations, we know that uh, we are all of one family, brothers and sisters in the Lord. And uh, especially here, as we get to know a few of you more, then uh, it's, it's nice to have the familiar uh, greetings. Please turn in your Bibles. To the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. I will be reading verses 1 through 10, and then in our sermon we will focus on verses uh, 3 through 8. Book of Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And, and I need to say uh, something before I, I read this. Uh, Paul, when he wants to emphasize something, he often says, brothers. Now, he also emphasizes things by saying, I exhort you, I appeal to you, I encourage you. Now, in this passage, Paul puts those together. And so he is really saying, uh, this is important. Uh, the beginning of chapter 12 marks a transition. And the, the focus is that the gospel that Paul has been preaching should work out in our lives that the gospel shows up in how we live. So hear God's word, God's perfect and infallible word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. 
having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let us pray. Our Father, we are humble before you this morning. Lord, we need your help. We need your spirit in our lives that we might hear your word, that we might take it into our hearts, that we might be transformed. And Lord, that we might glorify you with our lives. So Lord, that is our heart's desire, that we might glorify you. Lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of my favorite movies is called The Miracle. It's uh, about the 1980 uh, hockey game between the United States and the, the Russians. And, of course, the, the Russian team at the time had won, I think, the last three uh, Olympics. They were the undisputed champions of the world. And uh, the American team at that time was... Uh, college students uh, selected from, from the various teams. And at one point in the movie, the, uh, the assistant coach uh, says to uh, Coach Brooks, he says, Herb, you're missing some of the best players. And uh, Coach Brooks answers back, he says, I'm not looking for the best players, Craig. I'm looking for the right ones. And the, the point was that the, the Russian team succeeded by team cohesion, by working together. And uh, Coach Herb Brooks, if he was to, to win, had to create the same kind of team cohesion. The, the American team would uh, sink or swim as, as a team. And history records that they won, and well, because they played as a team. And here is a picture for the Christian life. You see, we do not live in isolation. God has designed us to live in a community, in the church. And we don't, the church doesn't depend on just a few superstars. God has designed us to be together, to depend upon one another. God has designed us to need one another. You know, another picture is uh, if anyone has worked construction at all, you know that uh, two is a lot more than one plus one. Uh, you can get so much more done. You have one to measure, one to cut. You have two to carry the boards, one to climb up, and another to hand up the materials. Two are so much more efficient. Well, because they depend upon one another. They need one another. And in the church, God has designed us to depend on one another. You know, Paul gives the, uh, the best analogy of all in this passage. 
he uh, says the body of Christ is like a human body. Look with me at, at verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Now, this analogy is so important that Paul repeats it uh, four times. Uh, here in Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, in Ephesians 4, and in Colossians 1. And what is the message? The message is that we need one another. That God has designed us to live in the community of the church. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 says two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Right here is the church. In the body of Christ, you can lift up your companion, your fellow Christians, your brothers and sisters, and they can keep you from falling. Now, the, the first thing I need to say is this is not just uh, sentimentality. Uh, we live in a community called the church by design. You see, we are created in God's image. And if, if you think about God's nature, uh, God exists in fellowship, in the Trinity. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Spirit uh, loves the Father and the Son. God is relational in his very nature. God is one but God lives in uh, fellowship within the Trinity. Now, I, I take Genesis chapter 1 to be uh, the literal uh, history of God's creation of the world. And so I, I really surprised, uh, well, Park Hill Church one time uh, when I said, God did not create all things of nothing. Now, what I meant was this. God created the universe out, out of what was within himself. Uh, John chapter 1 says of Christ, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You see, God could impart life into his creation because he has life within himself. And so when God created us in his image, it should not surprise us that God created us to be relational because that's in his very nature. You know, I, I love to read in, in Genesis chapter 3 uh, where it talks about God uh, walking in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve. And it is such a picture of the fellowship that God has with his creation and particularly with us as human beings created in his image. You see, God created us that we might know him. God created us that we might love him and that he might love us. And because he created us relational, 
he created us that we might love our brothers and sisters and that they might love us. And of course, this right here is the two great commandments that we love the Lord our God and that we love our neighbor as ourself. You see, for some reason, God has entrusted the care of his people to sinful human beings like you and me. And it's, it's not just some reason. It's because God is conforming us to the image of Christ. In 1 John 3.16, it says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So as Christ is, so God is conforming us as the church to be. Now the theme of this passage is that we are one body in Christ. And we will look at uh, this, this passage in uh, three parts. Uh, first, the importance of humility. Second, the importance of community. And third, the importance of excellence. The importance of humility, community, and excellence. And so, firstly, we see the importance of humility. Look with me to verse 3. Romans 12:3 For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned Now the key word in this passage is the word think and there is a Greek word that means think it is uh, logizomai uh, we get the word logic from it. It is a detached kind of reasoning and an adding up the numbers kind of thinking. And, and that's not the word used here. The word used here is the Greek phroneo. Now, imagine that you see a beautiful painting. And you stop and you consider this painting. And you examine the brush strokes and you consider how the beauty in this painting was created. That thinking, that considering, that is phroneo. You know, I, I love uh, mountain streams, and so uh, out hiking I can stop and I can just gaze at a mountain stream and I can think about it and consider it and admire it. That's phroneo. To occupy your thoughts with something you see, you have to set your high affections on it and consider it. And so this passage says, do not phroneo yourself more highly than you ought to. And the point is this, you cannot set your high affections upon yourself and serve the body of Christ. It says, do not set your high affections on yourself, rather... Have a sober, right attitude. Think rightly toward yourself. And a sober attitude is described here literally as thinking what is necessary or right. And so we need to stop and ask, what is it to think necessary or right? And the next verse tells us, it says, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So right, 
necessary thinking begins with right necessary thinking about God, about who God is. You see, it is God who has given you a measure of faith. There is not one among us who can take credit for anything that we have. God gives gifts, and he gives good gifts for his purposes. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And, you know, when the Corinthians, uh, they were blessed with spiritual gifts and they began to boast, Paul answered them with these words. He says, What do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? The point is this. Your life is a gift from God. Your family is a gift from God. Your friends are a gift from God. Your faith itself is a gift from God. Every skill, every ability that you have is a gift from God. And so necessary, sober, right thinking begins with setting your high affections upon God. You know, it's very interesting here that the opposite of uh, high thinking is not low thinking. It's not, I'm nobody, my life is messed up, I don't matter. Why would anyone care if you could see my life? Just low thinking. See, know what is required is right, necessary thinking, measured by the standard of your position in Christ. You know, the beautiful thing about Paul's analogy here is that you are just one member of the body of Christ, but you are a member of the body of Christ. And this means that God has uniquely equipped you to do good for the body of Christ. God has fashioned you to be a blessing. The, the problem with low thinking is this. It, it leads to withdrawal and passivity. As though I, I have nothing to offer. And no, the whole point of this passage is to call you to action, to call you to love and to serve your brothers and sisters in the church. You see, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Your gifts are not your own. God has given you gifts to serve the body of Christ. And so humility in life always begins with right thinking about the goodness of God. And Scripture makes clear in many places that if you approach life with an arrogant attitude, everyone will suffer. Pride destroys our effectiveness in the body of Christ. Uh, Romans 12:16 says this directly. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Psalm 25:8 says, "Therefore he teaches sinners in the way, the humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way." Or James 4:10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he 
will lift you up. Now, can I just suggest that God is a lot bigger than you are? And so when God lifts you up, he can lift you up a whole lot higher than you can lift yourself. If you want to fulfill the purposes God has for you to love your neighbor, it begins with seeing yourself rightly in relationship to God. Now, as you consider your life, where are your high affections set? Are they set on God alone? Are the meditations of your heart set on the one true and living God? This is the importance of humility to living rightly in the body of Christ. Now, secondly, this passage tells us the importance of community. Beginning in verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so this verse sets up an analogy. The church, the body of Christ, is like a body. And it begins, it says, we have many members. Okay. So far, so good. Uh, we are many people in this church. And then it says, all the members do not have the same function. Okay. It's certainly true that we have different abilities. And then it says, and are individually members one of another. Now, wait a minute. That means that we are interrelated. That means that we need each other. It means we depend upon one another. You know, God, did you really mean to give these folks over here as my eyes and ears in the church? Well, not so fast. You see, they depend upon you as their hands and feet in the body of Christ. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now, isn't it amazing that part of the all things that God has given us is each other? God has given us each other to be a blessing. You see, every one of you has been handcrafted to be a blessing to your brothers and sisters, to be a hand or an eye or a foot in the body of Christ. And this is especially amazing because we are all sinful human beings. You see, for some reason, God has entrusted the care of his people to sinful people like you and me. You know, God gives gifts. For instance, God gives the gift of service because your brothers and sisters need the gift of service. God gives the gift of showing mercy because your brothers and sisters need to have mercy shown. In, in the 
in this country, and especially in the 21st century, uh, we live in a very individualistic culture. It is part of the spirit of, it, of the age. And you, you may have heard the saying that God has no grandchildren. Well, in, in one sense, that's true. Every Christian is adopted directly into God's family. But in another sense, God uses families to raise up godly children and godly grandchildren. And so in a sense, God has grandchildren and great-grandchildren and cousins and uncles and friends. You see, God uses people in the lives of people. God equips the church that we might serve one another and that we might bring in the lost from the community. See, not one of us just up and became a Christian. God used people in your life. And you cannot prosper as a Christian outside of a community of believers. You need the community of believers around you, as, as I do and as we all do. Now, have you ever noticed, uh, if you look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, that these tend to fellowship? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These fruit of the Spirit bring people together. And if you consider the, the gifts mentioned in this passage in verses 6 through 8, prophecy, serving, teaching, exhorting, ruling, mercy. You see, every one of these gifts assumes a community. There is a server and a servee. There is a giver and a give e. Consider this church. When God gave you a brother to show you mercy, he gave you a sinful human being in need of grace. And on the other hand, when God gave you to serve your brothers and sisters, he gave them a sinful human being. Now, do you see the importance of humility? If you set your high affections on yourself, you might have unrealistic expectations on your brothers and sisters. You might tend to be critical. We must approach life with thankfulness for all the gifts that God gives, including the gifts of each other right here in this body of Christ. God wants your heart set on him so that you won't be critical of your brothers and sisters. Now I have a question. Do you see yourself as a vital part of the body of Christ? Do you see yourself as a vital part of this church given as a gift to your brothers and sisters around you? See, this is the attitude that God intends. This is what comes from right thinking, from setting our high affections upon God himself. You know, 
what are some of the problems that get in the way of community? They're things like anger, things like criticism, conflict. If we look back to the, the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, there are things like hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, envy. You see, these are the things that bring conflict, that bring division, that destroy the harmony in the body of Christ. You know, I, I was talking to a friend the other day, and he's a carpenter, and, and he was out hammering away, and he slipped and he hit his thumb. And oh, oh, that hurts. And then he told me, he says, you know, for some reason, my left hand didn't jump up and start attacking my right hand uh, for, for hitting it. You know, something else happened. His right hand set down the hammer and went over and tenderly cared for his left hand. Now, isn't that amazing? And you might think, well, it's not that amazing. Both hands are part of the same body. And more importantly, both hands are controlled by the same head. And I think you can see the application to the body of Christ. And by the way, Jesus gives us instructions for any conflict in the body of Christ. In Matthew 5.23, he says, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar. First, be reconciled to your brother. So the second point in this passage is the importance of community. Now, thirdly, in this uh, passage, we consider the importance of excellence. Uh, look with me to verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, verses 6 through 8 are one sentence. And the, the key verb is the very first word, having. And so the, the structure of this sentence is very interesting. Each gift is structured something like this. Uh, if service, in serving. If mercy, mercy. If teaching, in teaching. And so the, excuse me, uh, the structure becomes something like uh, having if service, in service. And the, the point is this. God does not give uh, gifts in the abstract. It, it's not like, oh, this is my gift of service sitting up here on the shelf, and you can just, there's my gift. No, God gives you the gift of service in your serving. God designed these gifts to be exercised in the body of Christ. And so you will have the gift of service in your serving. 
Now consider some of these gifts. Prophecy. Prophecy is speaking God's word. And you can be a great blessing in the body of Christ by speaking God's word. In your family, with your brothers and sisters, over lunch. Proverbs 25.11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. It is a beautiful thing, and especially the word of God. Now, it's interesting that uh, it says uh, prophecy in proportion to your faith. And, and the point is this. You cannot speak God's word effectively to your brothers and sisters unless you believe it in, in your heart. It's, it's why in seminary they teach us that you have to preach to yourself first. How can I speak God's word to you if I don't believe that it's God's word to me? Prophecy is in proportion to your faith. Ministering. Ministering is literally waiting tables. It is the word uh, from which we get the word deacon. It means an active, involved helping in the body of Christ, particularly helping where there are great needs. Now, what is assumed by the gift of ministering? It assumes that you are involved with your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ so that you know where the needs are. And, and this involvement of one with another cuts across all of these gifts. Teaching. Teaching is the ability to open up new worlds. It is to help people bridge the gap from where someone is to where they want to be. And this is a precious gift in the body of Christ. Exhortation. You can think of encouragement. Literally, the word means to call forth. You know, when I, when I was in high school, I had, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And by God's grace, uh, a friend of mine, his, his father, said, Brian, you should become an engineer. And uh, somehow, he saw the engineer in me. Now, it's not just somehow, I know how it is, because he knew me, and he observed me. He knew what I enjoyed. He knew what I excelled, uh, where I excelled in school. You see, I wasn't just some friend of his son's. I was a young man that he observed and took an interest in. And so he knew me, and he knew the needs of my life. And so quite literally, he called me forth into engineering. And I have been thankful ever since in my life. You see, you must know the lives of your brothers and sisters if you want to administer God's gifts to be a blessing. Giving is to be done with sincerity, with generosity. Uh, literally, it is to be done with singleness of purpose. In other words, giving is not, well, let's see, let me, let me count the percentage points. Uh, giving is not, well, I'll give, but, but I don't want to. No, giving is to be done generously with singleness of purpose. Don't just give, excel at giving generously. 
leading, or quite literally ruling, is to be done with diligence. See, if you have been given the gift of ruling, you have been given a significant task. And it is to be done with all of your energy. I think the sense is you can't just sit back and wait for things to happen. If you've been given this gift, you need to make things happen. You need to lead the people of God. You need to actively engage the people of God and pursue a vision. Showing mercy is to be done with cheerfulness. See, to excel at showing mercy, it must not be done as drudgery. And brothers and sisters, we should be very thankful for those precious people who show mercy. Because they are involved in the most troublesome of sorrows in this life. So that they can show mercy. But of course, the point of this passage is that you who have the gift of service can serve those who show mercy. So that they can show mercy without, well, being dragged down by it. The point of these gifts and the point of this passage is whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Do it to the very best of your ability. God has given you these gifts to care for his people. So do it with excellence. And by the way, if, if, if you were to look back to uh, verse 6, uh, the gifts is a plural. And there's no reason that God would not give you multiple gifts to serve the body of Christ. And I would encourage us all to pray that God would give us multiple gifts, that we might be more and more of a blessing. And as we do, we must always remember Philippians 1.6. God who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. See, God takes you through the difficult and the troublesome things in life that you might be strengthened to exercise the gifts that he gives you. All that you have must be devoted to God. Because for some reason, God has entrusted the care of his people to sinful human beings like you and me. Now, to conclude, I have a question. Why do you have a truck, if you have a truck? You have a truck to give it away in service to God's people. Why do you have a home? Well, you have a home to take care of your family, but you have a home to give it away in hospitality to God's people. Why do you love to cook? It's so that you can bring joy to those who don't know how to cook. Why, why do you like to read? Well, it's so that you can share what you're learning with the one who loves to cook. Why did God bring you through very troublesome 
and sorrowful times in life. It is so that you can be one of those precious people that shows mercy. Why did God give you health? Perhaps it's so you can lead with diligence. Perhaps it's so you can serve even after a long day of work. Why did God give you anything that you have? It is so that you can bring glory to him in your life. See, this is a high, and it is a precious calling. And it is not optional. It is the natural outcome of being adopted into God's family, of having brothers and sisters in the Lord. The message is this, give yourself away to the people of God. To go back to 1 John 3.16 again, by this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, now I need to say one more thing. We live in a world that has seemingly gone mad. There are churches closing, churches being persecuted. And I will just say that now more than ever, we need each other. We need the gifts that God has given to strengthen the church. We need to care for one another. We need to live in the body of Christ as God has designed. Give yourself away to the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, who is sufficient for these things? And we know that not one of us on our own. We know that it is by the power of your Spirit in our life that we are enabled to love you, that we are enabled to love our neighbor. And so we seek, Lord, that you would direct our paths, that your word might be a light into our paths, and that your word might sink into our heart and direct all of our ways. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.